I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Today we've got Jenny Lawson on the line. She is the bloggist, and her new book is Furiously Happy. Jenny, I'm so glad you could join us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. So this is your second book, just came out. Uh, It looks like it's following the same trajectory as your first book, Let's Pretend This Never Happened, getting onto the bestseller list. Did you expect this to happen with either book? I I was absolutely shocked with both. Um, With the first book, it debuted number one on the New York Times list the first week out, um, and I suspected I was in some sort of a coma. Uh, and I think I maybe have never woken up because I really was very worried that when this book came out, it would not, it wouldn't do as well because it is, it's still, it's a funny book and it still has the same humor. But when I decided to do a book about mental illness, I thought, okay, this is maybe going to have a very limited audience. Um, and I was shocked and, and, still am shocked in a wonderful way that it's it has done so well and is actually doing better than um, let's pretend uh, this never happened so this book the subtitle is a funny book about horrible things <laughs> yeah, which is a great subtitle uh, um, tell us about was this a natural next step for you or, or what made you decide you know as you just mentioned that this one was focusing on mental Ill- illnesses or at least uh, you talked about mental illnesses a little bit more in this one how, how did this book come about well i um i had noticed that whenever i wrote about Funny, ridiculous things. People loved it and would always say, oh, I've completely mortified myself in the exact same way. This is fantastic. Oh, I don't, I'd feel so much less alone. Uh, and the only time that I got an even better response was when I was honest about the fact that um, I struggle myself with depression and anxiety and all of these issues that so many of us deal with. Uh, and I... I was convinced, actually, by my editor and my agent that that would be would make a great book. And it took a lot of convincing before I finally said, okay, all right, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can share this. Um, it actually, the I would say the thing that pushed me the furthest was the fact that um, there are so many people who are alive today who... Um, has come to me and said, you know, I was actively in the process of planning my suicide, and I decided not to, not because of anything I wrote, but because they saw me write about my personal struggle, and they saw thousands of other people write in and say, me too, and I thought it was just me. And when, when you see that giant group of people saying, I thought I was the only one who felt like I was worthless, then you start to realize that depression does lie and that if everyone is feeling this way, then then it's not actually true, that that's just something in your head. And so many people were able to go out and get help, which is such a, a fantastic and wonderful thing in many ways, including the fact that so many of the people who came out and you know left comments and said, I feel this way too, even if they just anonymously shouted it into the void, um, that that one person may have been that one comment that sent someone over the edge to say, 
okay, I'm going to get help. And that they're alive today because a stranger said, me too, you're not alone. So that's incredibly powerful. And it's one of the amazing things about blogging is that you can build up this kind of community in the comment section. But uh, books are different. You, know, you, you kind of you read a book alone, you don't necessarily see what other people are saying in response to the book. The Amazon reviews may not be as personally revealing of people saying, oh, me too, I have this struggle too. So how, how do you work with that with a book? I mean, you're, you're doing a tour right now. Is that part of it connecting with people directly? Um, it is part of it. The tour really for me is more of a, almost a thank you to all the people who have supported the the book. Um, it's interesting with, especially with this book, it, it happened a bit with Let's Pretend This Never Happened, but it happens a lot with Furiously Happy, where um, the reason why somebody got it is because their daughter read it and thought, oh my gosh, this explains me. This explains the good parts and the bad parts. There's someone else like me, and they would buy it and give it to you like their mom or their dad and say, read this, and, and you'll understand me better. And so it's interesting how often there are people who are big fans of this book who don't know that I'm a blogger or who are like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to you know check out. Did you have another book first? You know, And are just finding this as a sort of standalone and are now finding um, this community that also exists. So it's almost like a, like a bonus. Like they read the book and then, you know, they sort of go and then they find the blog and then they realize, oh, there's this entire community of people who are messed up in the same way that I am, who all wonder, like, why was Jesus not considered to be a zombie since he came back from the dead? And like all these, you know, ridiculous questions that are in your head, but you don't say them out loud because you know you're going to be judged. And suddenly you find each other and you realize, oh, we're completely not alone in being weird, wonderful misfits. So how is that existing community reacting to the influx of of book readers who are maybe coming in not knowing all the in-jokes about giant metal chickens and so forth? (laughs) uh, Well, first of all, they're they're very, very sharing, um, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, What is also really great is so many people who, you know, either read the blog or, or they just read the books or just follow me on Twitter. You know, there's, there's all sorts of, of different kind of groups of people. And so often, especially like on Twitter, somebody will say something like, oh, I really want to go to, you know, Jenny's book reading in New York, but I, I have agoraphobia and I don't, don't like to leave the house and I'm really afraid. Is there anybody out there who, who's also going that wants to go with me? And then suddenly five people will be like, oh, I'm exactly the same way. You know, I don't have any friends here. It's a new town or I'm afraid of people. And they will meet up and become friends. Same thing with um, people as they are in line. So often you'll see people and they'll, you know, maybe start to get kind of panicky and everyone else will turn around and be like, would you like a Klonopin? How about some Xanax? Here's some deep breathing <laughs> techniques. Um, and that's such a wonderful and fantastic thing. There are so many people who come out to the readings who just basically say, this is the first time that I have left my house in weeks other than, you know, just basic going to work. And, you know, I, I just could not make myself do this. And it's such a great first step because you know that every single person um, 
that's in line, that they're going to understand even the weirdest, strangest stuff they're going to get. And that, and you look around the room and you see people and they're holding taxidermy and they're holding metal chickens to be signed and they're wearing pajamas or giant red ball gowns. And, and each person you look at and you're like, what's going on there? And they're so happy to tell their story. And they're so, because they, they realize that they're with their, their community or their tribe or they're like, they've found people who understand. And it's such a great way of of connecting and and also what's really great is that so much of of the uh, of the book was written really with the help of the internet because every like I would go out like the, the book is ninety percent you know probably even more than that ninety five percent like brand new stuff but the entire time I was writing it I would get online and say like. I, I'm, I have nothing. Like, I have nothing. I will never write again. Like, I just, I just can't. I can't do this. And they would push me through it. Or I would struggle with, like, well, what's the word that I'm looking for here that I don't know? And, and they'll say, oh, oh, there's not a word for that in English, but there is one in German. And, they, and so, so often um, I, I look at the book and I remember, like, oh, here's where I was in my life when I was writing this. And here are the people who were helping me. And I don't know, like, who they really are. I just know, like, this is what they're, you know, they have, like, a dolphin as a picture on their Twitter account and that they were fantastic and helped me through it. So it's a nice thing. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about your own depression and, and anxiety that you write about. But I wanted to talk a little bit first about just some of the stories in the book, so some of the things you encounter, such as, I don't know, battling menacing swans. <laughs> Tell us about that. So, yeah. You know, everyone thinks that swans are like these like lovely little graceful. Like, they're just the sweetest little things. They're not. They will kill you. They're worse than um, geese. They're horrible, horrible beasts. And you should stay away from them. Um, we moved into this neighborhood, and it's this very posh Republican stronghold. I don't fit in well because I'm like everything that's the opposite of that. And uh, so, but we, but it was a very safe neighborhood and it had gates and I was, I had like a stalker at the time and I thought this will be safe and this is good. And so, but in the, there's like a pond in the middle of our neighborhood and they have these swans, these two swans that live there. And it's just, and you look at it and it's picturesque and beautiful. And um, those swans want you to die. And apparently they only do it to me. But anytime <laughs> I'm anywhere near that pond, those swans will come after me. They will run down. Like as I'm driving by, they will like try to rip the bumper off my car. Those swans, they're total jerks. And um, I call them uh, Whitey and Klaus Banana Snatch. And, I, and I'm always like, I roll down the window and I'm like, not today, Whitey, which is a weird thing to say in this, like, you know, Republican country club neighborhood. Um, and everybody just kind of looks at me and I'm like, yeah, you too, you too. I don't know, whatever. I'm sure you did something wrong too. Uh, so, yeah, but, um, and, and, you know, like, I, they were, they actually chased me home at one point. And I was like, you know, oh, they're behind me, they're behind me. And Victor was like, I, my husband was like, what are you talking about? Who's behind you? And I told him, and he just thought I was insane. But then I reached up on the internet, and like one swan trying to drown a man, some, and then another one like broke somebody's arm. You think they're sweet, and they are not. They are not to be trusted. I think that they 
are serial killers and they're getting away with it because nobody suspects them. <laughs> and so you've also dressed, say, in a koala bear costume going on the animal theme um, on a trip to Australia. That is right. Um, you know, well, I always thought, because people always hold koalas in Australia, and I always thought, that's not really a very fair thing, because koalas never know, you know, what it's like to be held by another koala. I should dress like a koala, and then it's like they're getting cuddled by, like, their mom, because otherwise it's just like, oh, what are you doing? Like, this feels a little like molestation. No means no. You didn't ask if you can touch me. But then I get to Australia, and I have my costume, and I've had it approved beforehand by, like, the, I don't know, people who protect koalas or whatever. And uh, they, they were just like, oh, you can't, you can't actually hold them. You can't hold a koala. That's illegal. That's illegal. To do. And I was like, oh, I've seen pictures of people do this. And they were like, oh, well, in another part of Australia, you know, where, where they don't protect the koalas but then later <laughs> then later i found out that the koala koalas like apparently tons of them have chlamydia so i'm like well maybe they were trying to protect me <laughs> from the chlamydia but i'm pretty sure that chlamydia is fairly treatable in people so like i would have been willing to chance it i'm okay with you know getting a little bit of koala chlamydia that's i'm okay with that um, but apparently they were not, and they would not. So instead, they were like, "Well, you can stand near the koala, but it'll stress it out if you're if you touch it and everything." And these these koalas were like, they were so fast asleep. I'm almost positive they were dead. Like I'm 99 percent positive that they didn't have any live koalas, and they just didn't want me to hold them because then I'd be like, "Oh, this koala has been dead a long time." <laughs> this is starting to chlamydia. sound like a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> Exactly. This parrot is dead. So did did they did they warn you about the drop bears? Uh, they did. Uh, they did warn me about the drop bears, and so I was um, I was prepared because you know we have um, snipes in uh, Texas. You go on a snipe hunt, and then you know once you get there, you realize. By the way, I'm spoiling it for everyone who's new to Texas. It's not a real thing. Um, which it's same thing with drop bears, but. Then I get to Australia, and they're, like, at the, they have these flying foxes, which they're not foxes. They're enormous bats. They're so big, they look like foxes with wings. And, they're, and like, every poisonous spider you could ever possible imagine, and they're all just, like, you open up a drawer, and they're like, hey, I'm hanging out here. Look at me. I'm a snake. Like, they have, I'm like, why are you making up bears, Australia? You have everything that wants to kill you there already. Was crazy. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. Book lovers everywhere love Publishers Weekly Radio, now on iHeartRadio.com. PW Radio brings you the best of books and book publishing news. PW editors Rose Fox and Mark Rotella offer lively interviews with your favorite authors and conversations with new authors you'll want to get to know. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella. Join the community of book lovers at PW Radio. Every Friday and now on demand at iHeartRadio.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Jenny Lawson, the author of Furiously Happy. And uh, so you've got all these 
anecdotes of hilarious things um, with which all sound like they have this wonderful cartoon logic, you know, not I shouldn't hold a koala, but I should dress up in a costume to make the koala feel better. So how how does that tie into this particular book's treatment of things like mental illness and maybe more dangerous kinds of irrationality? Well, I had um, several years ago, I had this sort of an epiphany. Um, I was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety, and I had um, a couple of friends die, and I got really mad, Um, mad about the fact that you have to deal with all of this horrificness when you're dealing with mental illness, and you're also having to deal with life and with the world, and I was just angry in general, and so I decided that I was going to be happy out of pure spite, that I would just say, I don't know what the universe is up to, but you know what, anytime I have the opportunity to, I'm going to say yes to things, and I'm going to be furiously happy. Um, And I was not able to be furiously happy right then at the moment because I had depression and you can't just decide, oh, I'll be happy because that's not how depression works. Right. Um, But what it did do is it convinced me to, on on the days when I was doing well and my head was in the right place and I had energy to take an extra step and do something really fun, really silly, really ridiculous. Because those memories that you have, those are what you take back with you when you're fighting again later, when you're fighting depression. Because then you know, you know what, right now my brain is telling me that I'm useless and that I'll never be happy again or I'll never feel emotions again or whatever it is it's saying. But I have in the back of my head these memories of jumping into fountains that you're not supposed to jump into or dressing up as a kangaroo to be a kangaroo better than a kangaroo out in the middle of Australia or whatever ridiculous, silly thing that I did. Um, So really, it's just a matter of because when you have depression, and I think some people might disagree with me, but whatever, in my personal experience, It's almost like if you're dealing with depression, you feel a sadness that is so much darker and more dramatic than the average person might ever have to deal with. But I would like to think that that also stretches us in a way so that we have the ability to feel joy in maybe a stronger way um, if we go out and look for it at times when we can. And I think it's... I, I, I. have to be very, very clear on this because I think sometimes people hear this and if they don't understand depression, they're like, see, what she's saying is just be happy. And that's not what I'm saying because you can't just be happy when you're depressed. What I am saying is that, you know, with the right medicine and therapy and help and um, all that stuff, that when you are out of a depression, you can have a wonderful, fantastic life. You just have to keep breathing through the bad points, knowing that one day soon you will be able to turn your hand at being seriously happy again. And I think that depression uh, in particular, people often feel like they can't express it 
Um, and that's actually a thing that it has in common with silliness is that these are both things that are sort of repressed in our culture. Like you're not supposed to wear a ball gown to somebody's book launch party or, you know, you're yeah. you're not supposed to admit that you're feeling this crushing weight of misery. Did you did you feel like giving yourself the permission to be silly made it easier for you to also be upfront with yourself and other people about being depressed? Absolutely. Um, it's, it not only was a great gift that I was sort of able to give myself to say, I'm going to give myself an excuse to do something ridiculous, which is wonderful because it's, it's something you have to practice. It's, it's not something that comes naturally. It's something you have to look at and say, what can I do today? Can I go, what if I go to the pound and I let all the kittens out and I just like sit in a room with all the kittens, you know, they, because you don't think about that stuff until you think, okay, let's think of something that will make me happy that I've never done before. Um, it was also extremely freeing in that I was able to put something into writing so that when somebody didn't understand, I could hand them the book and say, this is what it's like. It might not be what it's like for you. Everybody's, you know, you know, mental health is different. But this is what it's like for me, and this is why I am the way that I am. Um, one of the things that I did when the, like right before the book came out, is I did this um, Where's Rory uh, sort of thing, which was like a, a flat Stanley. Um, but so Rory is the the taxidermy raccoon that's on the cover of the book. And so I was like, let's send out some worries because I am, you know, afraid of traveling. And when I do travel, I tend to just stay, I stay in my hotel room, which is where I am right now. Like I, I don't like to get out and I'm sort of afraid of people. And uh, so I was like, let's have Rory travel the world and let's just see where all Rory can go. Mm -hmm. And I thought I, it would be, you know, like pictures of Rory on like family vacations and this and that. But what it turned into, um, so many people were so happy to have an opportunity to say, you know what, I've always wanted to see the world's biggest ball of twine, but I've never had an excuse to, and it sounds so silly, but you know what, I'm going to go take Rory to the world's biggest ball of twine and take a picture so that he can be on the map. And now there's this giant map, and he's been to, like, just all around the world and all the different continents and to just the, the strangest, weirdest places. And so often I get these emails from people who said, I would never have gone on this ridiculous road trip to take pictures of him in the strangest, weirdest places, but it ended up being such a great experience. And it's one that I would not have done had I not had the excuse to do something silly. So I think that's a, a wonderful practice. So uh, how do you find the balance to write humorously about horrible things? Uh, is this something that you that just comes naturally or do you, I don't know, try things out, write things and see how they might work, read it aloud, perhaps like a stand-up comic might? I, um, I also... When I write, first of all, I immediately, I immediately delete half of everything that I write because I always write too much. It's hard to believe that I delete half of it because there's so much like weird, random stream of consciousness that you should see it before it even gets halfway deleted. Um, then after that, I will um, kind of look at it and be like, is this a blog post or is it more of a book chapter? Um, I constantly have 
napkins that I'm writing on. I'm writing all over my hands. I'm writing on anything all the time, just like simple words or a sentence. Um, and then sometimes I will go weeks where nothing comes, and I just sit there and I think, I will never write again. I am I'm an imposter. I I'm not a, a writer, and um, and I'll just I'll be so distraught and upset and then all of a sudden something will click something will happen I'll hear a word or a phrase and all of a sudden it will just snap and I, I basically like put a little sign up on my desk that says do not talk to me for the next 30 minutes and I just type as fast as I can to try to get it out because I know if I don't finish it if I get distracted I'm not going to be able to finish it and it, and it won't be done um, but it, but it is interesting, you know, my first book took me 10 years to write, and this mm. book took me four years to write. So I think it's easy to look at the book and be like, oh, she's always doing stuff, and oh, she's always like, she's, oh, she's got such a lot of stuff going on. But really, it was it's not unusual for me to, if I get a couple of pages done in a week, I feel like, oh, that was a really successful week. There's a lot of of downtime and a lot of time when I'm just like, oh, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. But in the end, it, it works out, and I'm so lucky. I have like a really great editor. I have a really great um, agent. They both listen to me. And then also, I think having readers is really helpful. So I have five friends who I can call at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, is is this funny or is it ridiculous? And is this over the line? Is this going to make people mad or is this? And having them there to say, yes, it's too far or, you know what, it's going to make people talk or, oh, my God, I I never understood it in that way um, is wonderful. It's also great because, you know, you have five people. One of them's not going to like it. And, that's, it's going to be the same way with, with any book. I mean, if you write it, like this, this book, any book, it's not for everyone. And if I get like a, you know, a Amazon, I look and I just look, look every once in a while. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's, I don't know, four and a half stars. That's great. But I know there's a, there's a lot of one-star reviews of people who are like, how dare you use this profanity? Or, you know, what's, you're going to go to hell for saying the things that you say. And, and I always just have to say, like, well, it's, I mean, it's not for everybody. It's going to find the people who need it and who it resonates with. And um, and those are the people that, you know, kind of hold up the book. And those are the people that I want to read it. So the, the book finds its audience. And I'm so, so lucky that I have this great community of people who some don't even realize they're in the community until they suddenly realize that they have been really the entire time um that 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 really is kind of how this comes about is almost it's really almost is more word of mouth and it's interesting when we whenever i do book signings because so often somebody will come and they'll say i came because my friend here she sent me your first book and then we would read it back and forth to each other and we would laugh and we call each other on the phone and we send each other you know, pictures of this and that, and now, you know, we're here, and and it's almost like a, 
a contagion, but but a good one. Like it's mm-hmm. like it's a good disease. That's that's my writing is a good disease. That's the way I like like chlamydia for koalas. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about your your husband and your daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, your husband who um, seems to be supportive and goes along with a lot of your ideas, and then your, your daughter. Are are there things that? Um, you 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 won't write about. I mean, because they they are there with you on uh, on page. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're um, you know with the with the first book and with this book, um, everybody who was in the book they got to read uh, anything that had to do with them, and um, they I just basically told them if there's anything that you want removed, you don't even have to give me a reason. I'll just take it out. Like anything that makes you uncomfortable. And to their great credit, not only did they not say, um, take this out. Instead, they were like, oh, do you need pictures of the raccoon that used to live in our bathtub that was, like, wearing shorts? Oh, I can give you that. Do you need a picture of your dad's, you know, armadillo state champion racing ring? Do you need, like, so, so instead there was that. Um, when it comes to Victor and Haley, so Victor is both a saint and also a complete, I uh, probably can't say the word on the radio, um, but just the opposite of a saint, uh, which okay. actually worked really well because if he was really a saint, I would feel guilty for being with him. But instead, I'm like, well, yeah, I, I put up with a lot of stuff for you, too. Um, he's really, really funny, though. In real life, he's actually much funnier. I'm funnier on the page, but he's the funny one in our relationship, So, which is what has kept us, I think, together for 20 years. Um, mm. We do have rules. Um, my own personal rule, first of all, is that um, whatever I'm writing about, I have to be the biggest butt of the joke. When it comes to Victor and I, I never write about anything that we are currently still fighting about. Uh, it has to be something that has already passed enough that we can laugh about it. With Haley, I never write anything that I think a mean 14-year-old girl can one day use against her. Mm. Um, and that holds back a lot. Uh, so so much so that at a certain point, some people are like, do, oh, wait, you have a kid? Do you have a kid? I'm like, no, I do. I do. I'm just I'm kind of quiet about her. Um, she's 11 now. So she is at the age where if I'm going to share something about her, I'll read it to her first. I don't let her read it because I take out all the curse words and stuff, and I don't, you know. <laughs> but I'll read it, and I'll be like, are you okay with this? And there are sometimes things that I think are so funny, and she's like, mm, nope. And I want you to share it. And so I don't. Um, and that has been, I think, really, a really helpful thing because we're all sort of on the same team. And she's now getting old enough where she's starting to understand really what I'm writing about, which is both wonderful and also a little bit frightening. Because, you know, you, you don't really want to think about your mom as struggling with mental illness and all of that. And so she's getting to that age where she's starting to see, oh, so those those weeks when my mom's in, you know, in bed and all she can do is just snuggle me and watch TV and she can't do anything else, that that's not just she's sick, that it's a different kind of sickness. We've been talking with Jenny Lawson, and you can find her book, Furiously Happy, in stores right now. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us and telling us a little bit more about your amazing life. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, PW News Director Rachel Deal brings us the news from the Frankfurt Book Fair. Stay tuned.